21, and we're going we're gonna to continue the series about words this morning. We'll continue the series about the power of our words, and we're going to start there. First of all, I want to say thank you for coming out last night to our fall fest. Hopefully your kids went to sleep eventually. Natalie had a hard time sleeping, but she had nine cotton candies, a bag full of more candy, several hot chocolates, hot wassail, dark seafood, caramel apple tacos. So yeah, she had a little bit of a hard time sleeping, but I planned it so I can't blame anybody else but myself. So hopefully your kids are okay. They're recovering from their, their uh, candy hangover today. So I see some people didn't even make it back after last night. It was just like, no, nah, we're all staying home after this. So Proverbs 18 and 21 in the New King James. Let's pull that up here. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Let's look at the message translation of that if we can. Words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. So today, if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Words That Heal. Words That Heal. And this morning, I'm going to preach a message I've never preached about today. And I want to talk about your words this morning, but maybe in a little bit different way than we normally talk about it when we speak about confession. We realized that last week we talked about your confession, about words of faith, how it's so important that what we say happens, and that death and life are in the power of our tongue, and we're going to eat the words that we say. And we see that that's so important, and there's power in our words to make confessions, to, to speak our faith, and faith is only released through our words. But we got to realize that there's power in our words outside of our prayer closet. There's power in our words outside of our confession life. And so many of us compartmentalize speaking words of faith to just when we're talking to God. Do you realize once you leave your prayer closet, your words still have the same power and authority? And a lot of times we're good when we pray, we're good when we confess, but then the rest of the day we talk completely opposite of what we said when we confess God's word. There's power in all of our words, not just selective words. Not just the words we say when we're praying to God or confessing to God. No, the words we say to ourselves, the words that we, that we say to each other, the words that we speak throughout our day are just as powerful as the words we speak in our prayer life. Because there's power of life and death in our tongue. And your spirit doesn't know the difference whether you're in your prayer time or you're at work or you're with your kids or you're at the gym. There's power always working with your words. And so the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. and Those who love it will eat its fruit. So we see there's so much power and authority in our words. And I want to speak about this this morning. I would say last week we talked about faith words. And this week I want to talk about relational words. When I say relational, I mean how you talk to yourself and how you talk to others throughout your life. Because they have power and authority to heal or to hurt. They have power to destroy or to build up. Your words have power not just to heal your body, but they have power to heal a relationship. Your words have power to heal and give life to your finances, but also give life to your kids. Because there's power and authority in our words. So I want to talk today about relational words, talking to yourself, but talking to others how you talk to your friends, how you talk to your coworkers, how you talk to your neighbors, how you talk to your spouse, how you talk to your kids. Those words matter, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. And there's power in our words for life or death. 
So how many would say, you don't even got to raise your hand right now, but how many would say you would like to have good, healthy relationships? You, you'd like to have good, healthy relationships with your coworkers, with your friends, with your family especially, and the people that are important to you. Well, it all starts with your mouth because death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, today I'm going to say a lot, so today would be a great time to take notes if you're taking notes. Because I, I got a lot I want to cov- cover today, but I want to share some very uh, specific and important things this morning. First of all, when we get saved, our spirit is the only thing that gets saved. Now, God made us spirit, soul, and body. The real us is a spirit, but we're not only a spirit. We are a spirit. We have a soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, and we live in a body. But when you come to the altar and get saved, Your spirit is the only thing that got saved, as you know. Because when you leave, if you smoked before you got saved, you're probably smoking on the way out. Because your body didn't get saved. And your mind didn't get saved. A lot of times, you you know, we come to the altar and you think everything's going to be different. It is. But you got to notify your body and your mind that you got saved. And it starts in your spirit, but it shouldn't end in your spirit. Because there's a process that takes place in the life of a believer called sanctification. Called growing up in Christ. Which a lot of churches don't even get there. But I'm going to speak to you a message today about growing up. Because we got to realize that a lot of us get saved at the altar and our spirit is saved. We're going to heaven. We know that, but our mind never gets saved and our body never gets saved because we don't do anything about it. And you realize if you read your Bible, you have a part to play in you being transformed into a new person in the process of sanctification. Yes, God does it in you and through you, but it takes your willingness and participation to grow and change. There's certain things that you can't come to the altar and get cast out. You're going to have to think differently. You're going to have to say no to some things in your life. People don't want that. They want a quick fix. They want someone with a magic wand to come up here and say, okay, you're, you're going to think right. You're going to believe right. You're not going to have any addictions in your body anymore. No, deliverance can start that process, but you've got to do something that after you leave the altar... Or it will come back. So you have to do something about your soul and your body. So many people, here's the problem, because we're still talking about words. You give Jesus your heart, but we have never given him our mouth. And that's why we stay in the same destructive, dead cycles, because we never change our words. Our spirit is changed And it got saved, but we never let God save our mouth. We never give God our mouth and our words. And death and life is in the power of our tongue. But we know there's something that happens when we grow up in Christ and we start maturing in God. One of the main ways you know you're becoming mature in God is you change the way you talk. Come on now, somebody. I know there's going to be a lot of toes going to get stepped on, myself included, this morning. But you got to stay with me. So we know. How do you know you're starting to mature? You change the way you talk. How do you know you're starting to grow up in Christ? You change the way you talk. You don't laugh at the same jokes you used to laugh at anymore. You don't have the same dead-end conversations you used to have, have anymore. You don't speak negatively anymore. You don't complain anymore. You're not critical anymore. You don't speak fear anymore. 
That's how you know you're starting to mature in Christ. And if you talk wrong, it's not just a sin issue, it's a maturity issue. Maturity has nothing to do with age. There is 80-year-olds that still talk like a 13-year-old boy going through puberty who just got his Xbox taken away. You guys know that, right? You, you talk to them sometimes. Some, they're, they're your parents and grandparents. They're 80 years old, and they still talk that immature. They never grew up. They never grew up in Christ. They have stayed in those same dead-in, worthless cycles their whole life and said, this is just the way I am. This is just the way I talk. This is just the way life has to be. No, it's not. It's because you've never matured in Christ. Your spirit got saved, but you never did anything about your mind, your body, or your mouth. And God wants that for you because he wants what's best for you. He's not telling you just to change. To change. He wants you to change because that's what's best for you. He wants you to grow up because that's what's best for you. And God is not looking for perfection, but he is looking for maturity. You're never going to get to the place where you'll be perfect with your words. But God does expect you to start growing up and being mature. I got a few verses for that. Lest you thought, Pastor, you're just picking on people today, calling people immature. No, I got some great verses for that. First of all, let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11. So one of the main ways we know we are growing up in God is we change the way we talk. The way we talk to God, but the way we talk to each other and ourselves. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says this. Paul speaking. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. And I understood as a child. And I thought as a child, but when I became a man or he became mature, I put away childish things. Some of us in here, it's not so much that you're sinful with your words, you're just childish. And it's hurting you. And it's hurting your relationships. And it's hurting your faith life. And it's hurting your future, and you're saying, well, that's just the way I talk. No, you're childish. That's just the way my family talks. Well, they're childish. All right, just had to give you a Joel Osteen smile just to. Well, well all the people I work with and go to school and talk like this. Yeah, they're childish. You don't base that off everyone else. If you want a different life, you have to be different than everybody else. I don't want what the world has, so I'm not going to talk like them. I don't want what other relatives I have have, so I'm not going to talk like them. I, I don't want what my coworkers have, so I'm not going to talk like them. Don't base it off of them. No, I want a different life. And I want to grow up and be mature because that's what God wants for me because he wants what's best for me. And he doesn't want me to just have positive confessions when I speak to him and pray to him in the morning. He wants my words throughout the day to be lined up with his word just like the rest of my words. And me to stop being a child and immature with my speech towards myself and towards other people he wants me to grow up and be mature. Why? Because immature words bring death and destruction. And mature words bring life and build up things. That's why it's so important. It's not just about maturity and immaturity. It's when I choose to be immature with my words and childish. I'm destroying things. There's no such thing as I'm just talking. No, you're destroying relationships. You're destroying your future. You're destroying your witness. 
by your childish words. Instead of choosing to be mature in God and have words that heal and give life. Because why? The power of life and death is in our tongue. I got to teach you before I preach to you today. We're going somewhere. You still here? So it's time to put away some childish things in the way we think and the way we talk. To align with God's word. Here's a quick, easy, simple tip. If what you're thinking and what you're saying doesn't align with God's word, you're wrong. Oh, you want a real pastor? <laughs> okay. If what you're thinking, because we're all thinking a lot all the time, and what you're talking about doesn't align with God's word and God's truth, you're wrong. I'm wrong. And you need to change. And why do you need to change? Because when you don't change, those words are hurting you. They're destroying you. They're destroying your relationships. They're destroying your future because there's power in life and death in your tongue. And we got to be honest and humble enough to say, if I'm not thinking or talking in line with God's word, I need to change. And more importantly than that, you can change because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you and gives you the power and ability to do it. Let's take a few more steps. Seems like it's getting warm in here. I'm kind of joking a little bit. <laughs> James 3 and verse 2 in the Passion Bible. Notice what it says. We read this last week. We, f- we all fail in many areas, but especially with our words. But listen to this part. Yet... If we're able to bridle the words we say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. And notice what it says. And that means our character is what? And fully developed. This is what he's saying. A lot of us, we're blowing it with our words. But if you can get control of your mouth, because you can if you really want to. If you can get control of your mouth by the power of the Holy Spirit and start changing your words, you can change your life. You can change your direction. You can change your course. You can change your future by the power of your words. But it says if you do that and you control your words, you are mature. Meaning if you don't control your words, you're immature. And like the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians, you're still thinking and talking like a child. But when you grow up in Christ, you need to put away childish things. Notice that's a choice on your side, not God's side. God can't force you into that decision. It's a choice to say, God, I'm going to put away childish things. Will you help me? And when you ask him that, he will start helping you by the power of the Holy Spirit. But he has to have your agreement and your will for you to put away some childish things. Words are so important because they can either heal or hurt. They can destroy or give life. You know, one of the most untrue statements ever said is sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me words will kill you not just hurt you words will kill you and you can recover from an arm injury way quicker than someone's words they spoke over your life is anybody here this morning no, that's, that's completely not true. Sticks and stones can do a little damage compared to what words can do. There's people in their 70s that still didn't get over what they said when they were 13. There's people that are in their 60s that are still not over what a parent told them when they were 7. No, their arm healed up and, their, and their, their leg got fixed and, you know, their black eye recovered and everything else. But the words, no, they stayed a lot longer. 
Why? Because words are powerful. For life or death. They can either be destructive or they can build up. They can heal or they can hurt. And no, that statement is not true whatsoever. Words are actually the most powerful thing. And so, no, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, words will kill you. And that's why it's so important, once again, why we speak mature words, not immature words, and we let God grow us up and change us and grow up in Christ. And when we grow up in Christ, we will talk differently. We will speak differently. We will speak words of life. We will speak words of healing. We will speak words of peace. We will speak words of strength when we mature in Christ, and we will speak words that heal. And not hurt when we mature in God. I don't know about you this morning, but I want to grow up in Christ. I want to speak mature things. It has nothing to do with your age in here. I want to speak mature things. Why? Because I want to speak things that give life and health and wholeness and a peace and joy and a future. And not immature words that destroy and hurt and kill things. Because words do a lot more than hurt you. They can kill you. And they will last longer than any physical abuse that you've experienced in your life. They will last way longer than any physical injury that you've experienced. That's why it's so important we are careful with our words. So we're going to turn to Ephesians 4. And we're going to hang out here for the rest of the message this morning. Ephesians 4 and verse 29. These passages... This passage really of, of verses has been going off in me for several weeks, and I want to share it with you. I'm still talking about words that heal and relational words. Ephesians 4, in verse 29, let's read it here. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, that's mature words. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I want to hang out in these four verses the rest of our time because it really sums up what we're talking about today when we're speaking about mature words, growing up in Christ, how we speak to each other because there's power to heal or to hurt in our words. So the Apostle Paul here is speaking to a church at Ephesus. And this church is saved He's not talking to worldly people and telling them, don't talk like this, guys. Because you realize they have no power to stop talking like that because that's who they are. But the Apostle Paul in Ephesians is talking to a church full of saved people. And he's encouraging them about the words that they're saying. And he gives several examples of hurtful words, but then also healing words. And I love the Apostle Paul because in a lot of his letters, he does this. He encourages the church about, you are not this person anymore. You're this type of person now. And that's what I have to do sometimes as your pastor. You're saved now, so talk like it. You're saved now, so think like it. You're saved now, so act like it. This isn't you anymore, so stop identifying to who you used to be. Stop identifying with the world. Stop identifying with the way that the world talks and the world thinks because they're not right and that's not who you are anymore. And that's what the Apostle Paul says in a lot of his letters, but that's what he's saying here. He gives you the example of hurtful words, but then healing words, and then hurtful words, and then healing words. And he says, this isn't you, but this is you. 
this isn't you, but this is you. He's trying to get them to align with their new nature. Because when you got saved, you got a new nature. And the thing is, we have to renew our mind to that new nature. And we have to tell our body about that new nature. Because that's who we really are. But there will always be pressure on us to go back to our old nature, to our old way of thinking, to our old life, to the world's way, to the enemy's way. There will always be pressure. That's why you have to constantly renew your mind to who you are now in Christ. And identify with the new nature because you are new, so you need to act new. You are new, so you need to talk new. You are new, so you need to think new. And don't identify with who you used to be. Are you receiving what I'm saying today? And that's what I mentioned earlier, and I'm going to say it again. Some of us still make excuses about why we are the way we are. You're identifying with the wrong thing. My family always talk this way, so I talk this way. You're identifying with the wrong family. You're identifying with the wrong family. No, you're in the family of God now. God bless your natural family, but they could have been wrong about a lot of stuff. No, I'm in a new family right now, and the new family talks differently, and we think differently, and we believe differently because we got a new nature. Well, you know, my dad was always angry, and he spoke harsh words, so I speak. No. you got a new nature now, and you got a new dad now. So don't identify with the wrong thing. The neighborhood I grew up in, this is just the way they talked. You're not in that neighborhood anymore. You're in the kingdom of God now, and you got a new nature, and you got a new mind, and you should have a new mouth. I'm encouraging you, church family, because I love you. Stop identifying with the wrong things. Or you will stay stuck the rest of your life. No, I have a new nature, not an old nature. I'm not the world's anymore. I'm not the devil's anymore. I don't belong to my flesh anymore. I'm not, I'm not a product of the neighborhood I grew up in anymore. No, I have a choice now. I'm not the product of my family history that was messed up anymore. No, I have a choice now because I have a new nature. And I have a new family. But you got to identify yourself with it. And that's why Paul encourages the church every time. He's reminding you because he knows we all slip back to our old ways. No, you're not like this anymore, so don't talk this way. You're like this because you got a new nature. And and you're not bitter and angry, and you don't speak harsh words anymore. That's not you anymore, guys. you got a new nature. You're forgiving. You're tenderhearted. You're kind now. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Because you got a new nature. And notice when you grow up, You start identifying with the right things. And it will change the way you talk. And your speech will be mature, which will bring words of healing, not hurt like immature words. Let's go a little bit further. Can we go further? I told you I got a lot today. So let's pull up uh, the first verse of that, of the Ephesians verses. Ephesians 4.29. We're going to kind of go verse by verse through this. So talking about words that heal, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good, helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. We're going to hang out here first. So what does this mean, foul and abusive language? Well, there's a lot in those words, and I'm going to try to explain to you to get you to think bigger about what that means. He's saying, don't use this talk because that's not who you are anymore. And when you do, you're being immature and you're hurting yourself and other people. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Foul, if you look it up in different translations or different languages, foul, some different words for it, is abusive, polluting, evil, worthless, dirty, 
ugly, hateful. That's all in that word. He's saying, that's not you anymore, so you shouldn't be speaking ugly words anymore. You shouldn't be speaking dirty words anymore. You shouldn't be speaking hateful, polluting, evil, worthless words anymore. Because that's not you. Here's some ways that we do that to ourselves and others. First of all, you can speak abusively over yourself by speaking against what God's word says about you. Many of us abuse ourselves with our own words. We hurt ourselves with our own words. I'm not this. I'm not that. No, who does God say you are? Why, I just don't feel forgiven. I just don't feel healed. I just don't feel redeemed. I don't just, I don't feel like I'm loved by God. You're speaking words of abuse over yourself. And he says, don't use foul or abusive language to others, but to yourself. When you speak against what God's word says about you, you're hurting yourself. Don't do that. When you speak against your redemption, you're hurting yourself with your words. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Here's some other things. Putting yourself down. Putting yourself down is foul and abusive language in the eyes of God. Here's an obvious one, but it's something we need to grow out of. Cussing. I'm not being religious. I'm not being legalistic. But if you still cuss, you got to grow up. I love you. You're not going to hell. Cuss all you want. But you're immature. You got to grow up. And it's hurting you and it's hurting other people. You got to grow up because that's not you anymore. That's not you anymore. I think that's an obvious thing we can take from what is foul and abusive language mean. Here's something. I'm just giving you some things to think about. Can we put this verse back up here for a second? So don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let's leave it up here. Here's another thing. Cussing, like I mentioned. What about sexual things? Yeah, it's got to get quiet in this Methodist church. I'm not talking about when you're talking to your husband and wife. I'm talking about in public. We live in an over-sexualized culture that makes crude jokes all the time. That's not okay for us as followers of Jesus. It's hurtful. And in the eyes of God, it's ugly and it's dirty. Now, I'm not talking about you talking to your husband and wife in something in a healthy way in the house of God or, or a message you heard. But a lot of people are making crude jokes all the time, and that's normal now. Men and women. God says you're not like this anymore. So stop talking this way. We need to grow up in men. You need to be bold enough to stand up to other men who talk like that. Don't laugh at it and act like it's okay. All right. Well, I head home, guys. No, that's good. It's all right. No, specifically for men, because men are usually the ones who make jokes like that. You need to stand up. Because it's hurting people. Those words have power, and it's not just a joke. The power of life and death is in our tongue. Now, we either believe every word matters or we don't. And they do. They all mean something. Not just the ones in our prayer closet. The relational words we say. So what is foul and abusive language? Sexual comments. Should not be amongst followers of Jesus who have grown up. It's not funny, dude. I consider myself to be 
a funny person. (sighs) Or at least know what funny things are. And I don't think those jokes are funny. So unless your humor is way superior than mine, which there's no way it is, It's not funny, it's hurtful. It's not okay. And I know there's been some men before at our church that have made jokes. It's not okay. Okay. You guys hear me? Take a deep breath. They're not in our church anymore, okay? Calm down. We gave them the boot. You got to get out of here. No, they left on their own. Why? Because they don't want to be right. They let themselves out. Let's continue a little bit further. What is foul and abusive language? Here's something we don't think about. Critical. When you are critical of others all the time, that is foul and abusive language. When you're critical of your friends all the time, that is not what a follower of Jesus should be. Here we go in the family dynamic. Are you critical of your spouse all the time? You're not right. And that's foul and abusive language. If you're critical of your kids all the time, you need to grow up. That's foul and abusive language. It's ugly. It's hateful. It's dirty. It's evil in the sight of God. And when you mature, you stop all that and you speak words that heal. And give life. You know, when you're critical of others, or you're critical all the time of everything, it tears things down. But in the original language, the next verses say, you need to speak things that edify. What does edify mean? To build up. So when we're immature, we're critical. It's easy to be a critic, guys. Takes no education. Takes no thought takes no effort, takes no skills. It's easy to be a critic, but it takes effort to build things. Just like it's easy to be a food critic instead of a chef. It's easy to be a music critic critic instead of a musician. It's easier to be a church critic than a church builder. It's easy. takes no effort whatsoever. But when it says don't use foul or abusive language, critical. A lot of you would never say anything sexual. You would never cuss, and you think you're holier than thou, but you're critical of everybody. You're just as wrong. And you're hurting yourself, and you're hurting other people. Why? Because death and life is in the power of the tongue. You're destroying people in relationships Because of your mouth. No one made you the judge. Do you want me to keep going? I feel like you're getting a little bit tighter the the further I go. I'm just trying to get really down to the practical things of this. No one made you the judge. No one asked for your opinion. All right now. Come on, come on. Think about this. If, it, if you don't have any control over it and you can't change it, why are you talking about it? You're just being critical. <laughs> Why? Because critical words tear down, but edifying words build up. That's who we are. Here's another one, complaining. I'm going to get you off the mat sometime soon. (laughs) When we complain, it shows that we have no faith. Because we really believe that nothing's going to change. We really believe that things are going to stay the same. 
When we complain in the eyes of God, that is ugly, hateful, dirty, evil, abusive, foul speech. When we complain, we remain. I'll give you an example for that in the Bible. Numbers 13 and 14, both of those chapters, you can read them later. God's people, they came out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They were in the desert. It should have taken 13 days to get to the promised land. And in Numbers 13 and 14, they sent some people into the promised land to spy it out. And two came back with a good report, and ten brought back a bad report. And it said when they brought the report back, the people of God started to complain. And it says even though the promised land belonged to them and was just a few days away because they complained, they remained. And they never got into the promises of God because of their mouth. Read it. Numbers 13 and 14, both chapters. And if you read it, it says, God speaking to Moses, he goes, your people are constantly complaining in my ear. And I'm tired of hearing it. Because he brought them out of the Red Sea and he'd already been feeding them and clothing them and getting, getting them a water out of a rock. And they're complaining saying, I wish we could go back to Egypt. Well, they had onions and leeks in Egypt. And they had fish in Egypt. But you were a slave in Egypt. They didn't connect those two together. Yeah, they had onions and fish and slavery in Egypt. And they said it would be easier to go back to Egypt. And they complained and complained and complained. And read it in your Bible. God said to the people, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do for you. Read it. Both chapters. They could have been in the promised land, but their complaining kept them out of the promises of God. Their complaining kept them out of the promises of God. And he said, as you've spoken in my ears, so will I do for you. Think about that. When you complain, you remain. You don't get to go into the promises of God. You don't get to move forward and collect $200. No, you're stuck. When you complain, you remain. And you know, people that complain never connect the two because they keep on complaining. And then they're just like the children of God in the wilderness going around in circles. Year after year after year, they keep on complaining. I don't like the way my health is. I don't like the way my family is. I don't like the way my body is. When you complain, you remain. And they never connect the two. When you complain, you remain and you're stuck going in circles in the wilderness. But you got to do something different. You got to speak something different. Philippians 2 and verse 14 in the New Living. Let's read this. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Looks like all of you aren't talking for a few weeks including myself. Hey, this is a verse in the Bible. This is not like a suggestion. God says, do everything without complaining and without arguing. You know why? Because those words never get you anywhere. They never heal anything. They never fix anything. They never bring life to anything. So he says, do everything without complaining. In arguing. You still here? Okay, let's put Ephesians back up there and we're gonna we're gonna move a little bit quicker here. You guys get something today. Hopefully I'm challenging you. Ephesians 4:29. But let's talk about the second half. So now we know not what to say, not not how to talk. That's not us anymore, anyways. Let everything you say be good and be helpful. 
so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let's leave this up here. Think about this. When you speak to people, is it good or is it bad? People hear enough bad news. You don't need to repeat it. You need to speak good things over people. What about this? When you're speaking to people, it should be helpful. Did that help somebody or did it hurt them? Why? Because there's power in your words. You could be either speaking death to that person or life by the words you say. Some translations say your words should be grace or a gift. Your words should encourage people. Encouragement means to put courage in. Means when you speak to somebody, they should leave that situation or that conversation with more faith and encouragement from the time that they got here. You got to be an encourager. We live in such a discouraging world, we have to have the spirit of an encourager. And for this church, we're going to be encouragers, not discouragers. We got enough discouragement. I know you guys that, that work out there or you go to school and you're living in this world and you hear all that all week long, you're just looking for some encouragement, some hope, some life. And we should get it in the house of God. And even if it isn't on Sunday or a church day, you should be able to call each other and get an encouraging word that will build you up, that will bring you help, that will bring you hope, that will bring you faith. And this is what God says, this is who we are. Our new nature, we speak good things. We speak helpful things. We speak encouragement. And that's a choice. We live in a discouraging world, so we have to speak and be an encourager. We say, well, no one encourages me. Well, if you want encouragement, so encouragement. Be an encourager. Be the biggest encourager you can be. Put courage in to people. Let's jump down to verse 31. He gives us another list. And notice he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Let's stop there. When it says get rid of, it means throw it out of your life. Because this isn't who you are anymore. There's a lot of church people that are bitter. You need to let God heal you and grow up. I love you, but you can find healing and you can grow up. Because that bitterness will only destroy you from the inside out. There's no place for rage in followers of Jesus. That's not who we are. Well, my dad did. Well, your dad wasn't right. He needed Jesus. And that rage hurt a lot of people. Anger, that's not us anymore. Harsh words. Don't speak harshly to people. And slander. Slander, another word for slander is gossip. That's the kryptonite of church people. Notice that's in there with rage and bitterness. Gossip. It, it's not us anymore, church family. And those words, once again, are only going to destroy and hurt. As well as all types of evil behavior. Next verse. Verse 32. And then he says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We're about to close here. You guys still here this morning? I love these two lists he gives. He gives that first list of foul language, and then he says, you're not like this, but you're an encourager. You speak good things. You speak helpful things. Then he says, you're not like this anymore. Get rid of all bitterness and anger and gossip and slander and rage. But this is who you are. You are someone who speaks tender-hearted words, kind words, compassionate word, forgiving word, loving words. These would be considered words of affection. Our world has got it wrong when it comes to this. As followers of Jesus, we need to be affectionate with our words to each other, to our families, 
whether we got that from our parents or not. We need to speak words of affection. What are those words? Tenderhearted, kind, compassionate, forgiving, loving. We have to get out of this. I know all of you were raised differently. In my family, my dad, his real dad had no relationship with him. His stepdad was a good man, but never spoke any words of affection to him, ever. Didn't say good job, didn't say I'm proud of you, didn't say I love you. Dad could use that as a crutch to say, well, I'm not going to be that way. But you know what, Dad? He decided he had a new nature. And he had a new family now. And he had a new father now. And I'm not going to identify with my past. I'm going to identify with the word. And my new nature, I'm going to allow it to grow me up and mature me. And just because my past looked a certain way, I'm going to speak differently to my spouse, to my kids, to everyone I know. And dad is one of the most affectionate speaking men I know. Because you only see the prophet side, which is a little intense sometimes. But that's only this part of his life. 95% of his life is out there. And he's constantly speaking words of affection. And that is mature language. That's mature speaking. That's healing speaking. He tells me all the time, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're a better preacher than me. You're a better pastor than me. You're doing a great... We're not talking once a year, every day. Because those words are producing life. And those words are healing. And when you grow up and you mature, you're not thinking about somebody else getting ahead. You want to push other people ahead. You want to promote other people. You want to help other people. I want to encourage you, church, you need to get over the awkwardness of being affectionate to people in your life. To your family, to your kids, to your spouse, to each other. We should say stuff like, I love you, to each other in here. Well, somebody's going to think, who cares what they think? I'm proud of you. I believe in you. I'm here for you. You're not alone. We need to be speaking words of affection like that to each other in here. I tell all my guy friends, I don't care what you think. We're like, oh, uh, pastor, you know, he's acting a little gay. <laughs> Has nothing to do with sexual things. Has nothing to do whether you like men or women. Being affectionate to each other is not sissy. It's not related to your sexuality. It's not related to gender. Being affectionate is like God. Because that's the way that God speaks to us. How does God speak to us? He speaks good things, helpful things, encouraging. He speaks tender-hearted things, kind things, compassionate things, forgiving things, loving things. So it's not wrong or weird to be affectionate with your words. You need to be. And if you're not right now, start giving yourself to that. Because some of you closed up your heart a long time ago because you got hurt and you don't say anything to anybody. It's not healthy. It's not good. Am I helping you as your pastor today? And we're about to wrap it up here, but I just want to say a few more things when we're on this note because... I was thinking about this, especially you men in here, as dads, as fathers, as husbands. You are the leader in that home. And you need to speak words of affection over your family. Do you speak words of criticism or do you speak words of affection? You should tell your kids all the time, I love you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. You got this, even when they blow it. Be quick to forgive. What, what does it say? 
tenderhearted, kind, forgiving. Quick to say, okay, you messed up, but you got this. Let's get back up. Let's keep moving. But men, I'm speaking to you specifically, you need to be the examples of that in your house. Even if your own father didn't do it for you or your grandfather didn't do it for you or no other man has done it for you, you be different. And you start a different lineage and a different legacy for your house and for your future. And if we had men like that in our church, that's a healthy church. Not wannabe manly men who just because they have a beard and a chainsaw act like they can't be affectionate to nobody. Nope. When you're affectionate, you are being like God, who is a good father. It's important. Please take what I'm saying today as important as your pastor. I'm speaking to men and women, but especially the men. You're the leader in the home. You need to be this way. Your family will key off you. You know, I was thinking about this, and I'm going to close. I know I've said that many times. We're at 58 minutes. Do you guys want me to keep going? Just a few more minutes. Okay. I was thinking about this recently, but, you know, um, psychologists and, and counselors and therapists study this all the time, that the man in the home has so much significance, especially for the children. And the words that they speak. So you got, a, you got men who don't speak affectionately to their sons. They don't speak words of kindness and encouragement and affection. And a lot of times those sons grow up to be angry men. With a chip on their shoulder. Because they're still trying to prove something to their dad. Can I go there? Because their dad refused to tell them they loved them. Or they were proud of them. So they're 45 now and they're still angry and trying to prove something to their dad who never said anything. But then on the opposite side, the young ladies get their identity as well from their father. And if you dads are not speaking affection over your daughter, when they get older, they will look for affection for somebody else. That's not you. That's why I know that Natalie won't be looking for somebody until she's 45. I didn't tell her this yet. She's only eight years old. But you know what? I make it a point every time I'm with her. And she's already eight years old, but she's already starting to get an early preteen attitude with me. Like I'm embarrassing her when I say stuff. But every day, I don't care if she pulls away. I don't care if she acts like don't say it. I tell her, Natalie, I love you. Many times, every time I'm with her, or if, I, I'm, if I'm not with her, when I see her again, I said, I have missed you. I am proud of you. I love you. You are smart. You are the most beautiful little girl, and I love you. And I don't say that once a year in a birthday card. I say that all the time. Why? Because I'm trying to speak her identity and to be like God is to us, speaking words of affection. So when she's 16 and 17 and 18 years old, when a young man comes around, and I'm owning a gun by then. I don't have a gun yet, but I'll get one then. <laughs> she won't be moved by his fancy speech. Because she's saying, my dad talks a lot better to me than you do. Come on now, somebody. Come on, men in here. You want to grow up men and women of God who are strong and secure? You got to speak words of affection to them. And it's not weird. It's healthy. We've just been modeled unhealthy relationships, so we don't know what healthy looks like. It's healthy. And I'm going to close here. I said that seven times. Seven is the number of completion, so I'm really closing. Lastly, I want to leave you with these, these three things. So how, how do we do this? How do we do this? 
I want to say, as we close, and I appreciate you guys staying long and listening to me. I love you. Here we go. Here we go. Words of affection. You can just write this down. Psalm 141, verse 1, says, God set a guard over my mouth. If we want to start speaking words that heal and not hurt, I challenge you today, every day of your life, pray this verse over yourself. God set a guard over my mouth. If I'm about to say something I shouldn't, Holy Spirit, convict me. If I go ahead and override that conviction, Holy Spirit, convict me and let me know to be quick to repent and quick to forgive. And because the Holy Spirit lives in you, you will know when you said something that doesn't align with your new nature. A lot of times, even before you say it, you'll have that feeling or that thought come to you and the Holy Spirit will say, nope, that's not you. And sometimes you catch it and sometimes you don't before it comes out of your mouth. But the more you give yourself to it, the better and more mature your tongue will get to heal. And the Holy Spirit will show you, just like I said in Ephesians, if he's grieved or not by your speech. The next thing is, what you put in you will come out of you. Many people say, where did that come from? It came out of you because it's in you. Where did that cuss word come from? came out of you because it's in you. Where did that joke come from? It came out of you because it's in you. Where did that anger come from? came out of you because it's in you. Let's just be honest about it. So we need to put the right things in us if we want the right things to come out of us. Luke 6, 45 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever you put in will come out. So if we want to speak words that heal, we need to put healing things in us, encouraging things in us, peaceful things in us, kind, tenderhearted, because whatever you put in will come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And lastly, we can do this because that's the way that God speaks to us. And that's the way that God treats us. When you constantly remind yourself about what God has done for you, it will change the way you treat other people. When you constantly remind yourself how God speaks to you, which is good, helpful, encouraging, tender-hearted, forgiving, loving, compassionate, it's way easier to speak to other people that way. See, well, they don't deserve it. Neither did you. But when you remind yourself of what God has done for you, you will treat other people the same way. Let's read that verse because it says that very thing. Ephesians 4, 32, and we'll close with this. This is why we can do this, Ephesians 4.32. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Now, how can we do that? Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Or how he's spoken to you. Or how he's treated you. How can we do this? Because God has done this for us. We all know when we get out of the presence of God too long, we treat people a lot differently. Why? Because we stop reminding ourselves what God has done for us. It's so important. It's so important we speak words that heal. Did you guys get something today? I was long-winded today, but I needed to say every last word of that. And you know what? I love you, and I thank you for coming. Let's pray. Father, we love you today, and we thank you for this time we had together. We thank you, Father God, that we're going to speak words that heal and words that give life. Father, we make a commitment as a church family that we're going to change the way we speak because there's power in our words. Father, I pray for all the relationships that are represented here, whether they're friendships or family or coworkers or whoever they interact with through their life, that we would be a witness to them of your love of your kindness, of your encouragement. Father, I pray that you'd help our church family to grow up 
to change, to mature in our words, that we would speak like you speak to us. Father, we thank you. We're growing. We're changing. We know we're not perfect, but we are growing. And Father, we want to change. We want to mature. We want to speak words that heal ourselves and other people. Father, we thank you for this series on words. Let us continue to think about it this week, meditate about it this week. We thank you for each other. Thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your compassion for us. Father, we thank you that you've forgiven us even when we didn't deserve it. And we receive that forgiveness. We receive that love from you, Father. And because we've received it, we can give it to other people. Father, we just thank you for today. I bless your people as they go. We thank you the angels of God go with them to protect them and defend them. I pray your healing power over them, your delivering power over them. The blessing of God be upon them and their family, in their careers, in their minds, in their bodies. The favor of God be upon them wherever they go. Father, we thank you for your presence that goes with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.